all CEOs, me included, we don't actually know what we're doing. They're all sharks, so all you got to do, though, is no shark bait. I don't think we've ever talked about this before. <laughs> we can capture all of the wallet share. First place you start is with the product. That's just the first nut. This is the Capital Stack. This is David Paul, the host of the Capital Stack podcast, where we talk to founders, operators, and investors about all things value creation and startups. Today, I am talking to David Tall, not David Paul, David Tall, who is the founder and CEO of Spurs, which is based out of San Diego. Uh, founded in 2013, was a rebrand from a company called Agentology. Uh, David, you raised what, $22 million? Uh, 17 or so. 17 or so. So tell me, David, give me, give me the Spurs story. Um, uh, you, you kind of did, Verse. yeah, it's Spurs. Verse with a V. Verse. Sorry. Sorry. My bad. <laughs> All good. Verse.io. Um, you know, basically what we do is we're a, a conversational texting platform, um, that helps businesses uh, engage, qualify, uh, follow up with their prospects, uh, and do so with the power of SMS, really helping companies modernize their engagement strategies by bringing in the power of, of two-way texting, authentic AI-powered texting to help them have conversations, pivotal conversations with their customers, you know, at the most important moments on their journey. Now, is that, um, is your main customers like, uh, uh, like retailers? So we work with um, mostly with sales and marketing teams at B2C companies, mostly, but also B2B, but majority B2C. So companies that, uh, if you think uh, uh, big real estate, mortgage, home services, education companies that are driving a lot of traffic to their sites, generating a lot of leads from it, and are trying to find a consistent, effective, and efficient way to you know engage all of those prospects properly in authentic ways, nurture them long-term as needed, qualify them and then hand deliver them, you know, with appointments, booked, showings, et cetera, for their sales teams. Got it. Um, so do you feel, I mean, is that using like natural language understanding? Um, yeah, we use conversational AI, proprietary AI that we've been developing over many years. We use natural language processing, machine learning, kind of all of the above to accomplish a, a real um, seamless two-way conversation at any scale for any kind of conversation needed. And then we also have you know, real humans uh, around the country and around the world in contact centers that, that we operate to help carry conversations forward as well uh, in, in, in occasions where the AI is, is not able to decipher and truly understand and feel confident enough to respond on its own. So we don't rely on pure AI, um, knowing that people can respond, go off script, bring other kinds of questions into the fold. And we want to keep an authentic conversation flowing. So we'll loop in our own humans to jump in and carry those conversations forward as needed. And this is more on the sales effort, not so much on the um, on the um, customer support effort. T today, yes, more on the marketing and sales. You know, the way we look at it is, if you look at the marketing and sales funnel, you have marketing generating leads, generating traffic, hand raisers, and they're tossing those leads over the fence to sales. Um, and, you know, salespeople complain that they're getting leads, uh, you know, from all over the place, leads that haven't been engaged with or qualified to some degree and are hard to get a hold of. 
And, and equally, marketing is complaining that they're sending all these leads over to sales and they're not following up quickly. They're not nurturing them long term. Um, and so we've really come in to really solve this problem, this gap, conversation gap between marketing and sales to help them close that, that conversation you know, uh, hole where really leads go to die. After people raise their hand and they say, I'm interested, that handoff to sales creates a, a, a big chasm, uh, which we've been aiming to solve. And when you're saying direct to consumer companies, these are like brick and mortar service companies or more technology companies. Is there a vertical that your product really excels in? You know, all, all, all of the above. We work with companies uh, ranging from companies like uh, like Homelite to companies like Angie's List or now Angie uh, to big home builders, the biggest home builders in the country uh, to major universities like Pepperdine Um Big solar companies like SunPower and 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 many others in, in other uh, categories as well. Okay, right on. And so, tell me how you got to this product market fit because I remember Agentology was not this product. Yeah, so a- Agentology was very similar, but really catered to individual realtors. I I came from the real estate world. I was a real estate broker. Um, I actually went to UCLA for for engineering, but ended up becoming a a real estate broker after many years, um, and, and I had you know my team of agents here in San Diego, and I was buying leads, generating leads from websites like Zillow, Realtor.com, Homes.com, etc., and feeding my agents. And I very quickly realized that they were pretty terrible at following up with all of those prospects. They they would not reach out quickly. Uh, they were not leveraging text. They maybe would make a phone call, leave a voicemail, and that was it. And and if nobody called them back, it just meant that they weren't interested. And we all know that you know the fortune <laughs> and follow up. It takes many attempts in the modern age to get a hold of people and to follow up and stay top of mind. That's why you've never seen a commercial once. Um, you know, you see commercials dozens of times because you have to stay top of mind. And it's the same with follow up. You have to follow up multiple times to stay top of mind in respectful, authentic ways. Um, and so. I saw this experience firsthand as a broker in real estate and and joined forces with my brother Avi to really solve this problem and help um, real estate brokers and agents solve this problem. So so we we developed agentology where real estate agents could connect their Zillow, their realtor, all their different lead sources to one central agentology platform that would then automate the follow-up with those prospects. Today, Verse has evolved and we rebranded to Verse uh, over three years ago. Um, inspired by our, our ability to help businesses converse with their prospects at, at the most pivotal moments on their journey um, and have conversations. And now we serve every industry. Our platform is uh, fully customizable for any industry and uh, and able to do so much more, including booking appointments, driving inbound calls, uh, live transfers, scheduling showings, um, and and plenty more. Yeah. And I'm sure that did wonders for your metrics because I mean, real estate agents are historically really big churners on, on software products. I have never heard of that. Never heard of that. <laughs> I, had a, uh, I had a, I, I owned a, um, uh, a real estate CRM and it was a complete dumpster fire. Like it just, I don't even, it, I still keep the plaque, the tombstone on my wall just to remember never to invest in high churn businesses, despite, you know, what, what they say about the growth. And there's always a story with churn, like, oh, well, it's, you know, we didn't want these customers or these, but there's, you know, it just never gets better. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you sound you sound like me many years ago explaining <laughs> it away. Yeah, they're just the wrong customers. No, but you know, it, it, but it's true. The, these these you know one man businesses and, and 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 small teams just operate differently. Their marketing spend it fluctuates a lot differently than a big organization and a company. And this is why we moved further upstream as we rebranded to Verse because we wanted to work with more consistent organizations that really had a problem with scaling. Um, realtors maybe get 20 leads a month. They could kind of handle it. So, you know, the bigger teams still sign up and we do really well with large teams that are generating thousands of leads a month for their, you know, offices around the, the county or, or state or, or country. Um, but um, by working with companies that are generating thousands, tens of thousands, millions of leads a month and a year, uh, we're able to really bring incremental lift and, and operational efficiencies, especially in the times that we're in today where companies are really trying to figure out how to do a lot more with leaner teams. And that's where we come in. So tell me, um, there's a opportunity, I believe, um, for the listeners, because I think most startups just trying to show any type of product market fit or velocity, they sell to really small customers because they buy quickly and um, they also churn quickly. And you know, the everyone wants to go up market, bigger ACV, easier customers to deal with, easier customers to support. From how did you do that from like a product perspective, from a market positioning perspective, from a sales perspective? Like what what advice would you give entrepreneurs about going up market that they probably don't know? Yeah, you know, it's um it's a question we still grapple with today because we we continue to move further and further up market and and continue to kind of redefine that perfect ICP ideal customer profile. So um, I, I a couple pieces of advice. It's always really hard to make such a big change when you know it's going to affect sales in the short term because you're going to rejigger, you know, the the outbound. The, a lot of your pipeline is just going to kind of be useless if you kind of draw a line in the sand. Um, and say, you know, we're only working with this size company or bigger. So, but your pipeline that you've been building over years has everything under it as well. And so it takes some, some guts, um, it's some resolve and some patience and kind of steady hand. And I haven't always had the steadiest of hands, but, mm-hmm. um, so <laughs> we're going um, to market, but what about the growth? Exactly. <laughs> right. so, I, I think, and, and I didn't always deal with it well and still probably don't, but, um, you know, I, I, my piece of advice is draw a line in the sand and give it the appropriate amount of time before you freak out or decide to roll it back or make other changes. Like really decide that, hey, I'm going to raise my price. As an example, we, we did that. We raised our price in our, in our minimums and, and we said, look, we're not going to uh, make any changes to this for 90 days. We're just going to see how it goes. Even if we just completely bust for 90 entire days, we're, not, yeah. we're just not going to do it. We're not going to change anything. What you find when you have resolve and you kind of burn the ships and you get rid of plan B is everyone really um, focuses on making that work. And you have a much stronger chance of making that work and getting minds around that new um, reality instead of having people wonder, oh, is it going to go back? Should I keep all these other things warm? Right. Yeah. Should I, yeah, should I keep this pipeline? Is this just like, you know, a, a knee jerk reaction? Yeah. So we do that all the time. We, we just did it. You know, just a few months ago with our, our contracts, we had uh, annual contracts with a, a three-month out clause. And we found that we had a lot of looky-loos that would come in, waste our time, and two months later kind of drop out. And, and we decided to draw a line in the sand and say, you know what? Annual contracts starting August 1st, 
That's it. And, mm-hmm. you know, we had a really slow August of new sales because of it, because so much of the pipeline had been pitched in a way where people thought they were really just signing up for a three month trial before they committed for a longer period of time. And, uh, and so it was really stressful. We were doubting ourselves. What did we do? The markets are tough as they are right now right. around the world. Why did we just make this even harder on ourselves? September rolled around and we had our best month in five months in September, all annual contracts. Uh, this month we're, we're, we're kicking ass, uh, all annual contracts, even people prepaying for the whole year, something that was unheard of to us just a few months ago. And so, um, and that I was think all a I, mental thing. That was all fear. It's fear. It's, it's, you know, you don't want to mess with something that's working. Um, but what you do, what you need to be able to do as a leader is look ahead and figure out what is, what do you want your cohorts and the strength of your cohorts to really look and feel like six months from now, a year from now, because anytime you look at your cohorts and you study them, um, there's nothing you can do to change them today. The best time to change your cohorts was a year ago. And so, you know, right, um, <laughs> right. Yeah. exactly. And so, you know, it's like the planting the tree, you know, analogy, the best time to plant a tree was, was 20 years ago. The second best time is now, but um, you know, you have to do that when you're trying to move the needle and, 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 you know, clear a different path for your, for your metrics. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then from, I, I get the burn the ships, put a line in the sand, give yourself a defined length of time before revisiting. And I'm sure this differs from a lot of different products, but just going up, up market, changing your, um, how you sell, was there any like product um, enhancements you had to do to sell up market? Like, how did you think about your product set? Or was it really just a mindset, you know, shift and saying, okay, we're going to accept longer sales cycles and we're going to sell this up market with the same, with the same product. You know, mostly, mostly for us, it was mind shift. um, Mostly. However, it's now dictating the kinds of integrations that our team is focusing on, on deploying and, and working on. Right. We, we, um, in the past, we, we were focused on solving for all these little guys who have a million different CRMs and, and needs and requests. And, and it's very easy to get kind of wagged around with requests because you want to keep every customer, right, and keep every customer happy. As we work with bigger organizations, we're finding a smaller subset of big CRMs. For example, realtors don't use Salesforce. They use 50 different CRMs in real estate. Right. Um, but all the big marketing organizations for all the Fortune 500 use, you know, HubSpot, Salesforce, and, and a handful of others. And so by us being, we already integrated with them, but being able to create deeper integrations there that do more, that allow them to see more of the data, and then roll out what we focused on was a, an entirely new experience for our, our insights dashboard, our, our analytics dashboard, which shows all our customers the efficacy and, and, and everything going on with the conversations in real time. So they can sort by lead source, by marketing campaign, and other things that smaller you know, customers aren't really looking at or really even tracking. They're too small to focus on that. But big operations that are spending millions a month on advertising, uh, this has dramatic you know, value for them to really understand which sources are performing better than others, not just from a CPL perspective, which is kind of a vanity metric, but from a clarity metric perspective of, of which 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 leads are actually turning into real conversations. Mm-hmm. 
And then when you're when you're positioning yourself in the marketplace, because you are continually going up market, you know, self-proclaimed, still trying to find the best possible customer. How how important is market positioning versus just kind of features when you're selling into a Martech stack, right? I mean, which is pretty, pretty noisy. How how important are features? Well, how important is like, I mean, are you selling feet? Like, are you selling features? Like, how do you sell? How do you sell verse? Right? Like, do you sell it based on how you position yourself in the grand vision of the company? Are you selling against features? Like, I'm sure that, you know, there's a, you know, it's a handful yeah. of competitors that you're dealing with. Yeah. So, I, I mean, the, one of the biggest values that we bring is bringing the power of SMS into the engagement strategy. Only 6% of businesses leverage two-way texting um, for, for engagement, for customer engagement, only 6%. I truly believe that over the next 10 years, that's going to flip where only 6% of businesses 10 years from now are not using SMS and everybody is and uh, everybody else is. And so I, a big part of what we do is, is really come from a consultative you know, standpoint and say, hey, here's what you're doing today. You have a huge call center or you have teams that are you know, calling within seconds. Great. But here are the stats. Only 13% of people answer the phone nowadays. Only mm -hmm. 13%. Um, only 22% of emails are read. 22% of emails. 98% of text messages are read. Mm -hmm. And 90% of those, 90, are read in the first three minutes alone. So there is no faster, stronger way to engage a consumer than through SMS. Now, I agree, the best way to close a deal is on the phone. And people will say, you know, how do I get people on the phone? And, and it sounds weird to say, but the best way to get someone on the phone is to text them first. Mm -hmm. Why? Because if you're driving and somebody calls you and you're one of the 87%, you're not going to answer it. That's going nowhere. Um, and if you don't answer that phone call in that minute that they call you, that conversation's over. It never even happened. You don't even know what it was or what it was about. You have no idea. With the text, I could send it to you. And if you're driving or busy or in another meeting or picking up the kids and can't respond within a second, that's fine. You could respond an hour later and the conversation just keeps going, right? And you know you have context and relevance and preference. And let me break that down. With a text message, if I send you a text message after, let's just say you're inquiring about solar and, and you want to get a quote for solar. You can get a tech if you get a call from that solar company from some random number. You don't answer it. Nothing ever answer. happened. Right. Nothing happened. There's no progress. With the text, I could say, "Hey, David, Alex here with Blank Blank Solar. Just got your request. Um, when's uh, you know for for a quote? Would love to have a installer come out and analyze and get you a quote. Uh, is now a good time for a quick call, or or is that a better time?" Mm -hmm. What we do there is, number one, there's context and relevance. We addressed you by name, by the company you just inquired about. You know what the text is about, what it's referring to. And, and now we're giving you choice in how you want to communicate. Do you want to prefer to text? Because you can. 90% of people prefer to text, by the way, initially with a business, 90%. And Or if you say, call me now, we can call you now, but you'll pick up 94% of the time, you will pick up if you expect that call from that specific number. And... If you say, call me tomorrow or call me in an hour, uh, again, we're giving you preference and choice in how to communicate. And I think the biggest fundamental change in consumer behavior that we've seen over the last you know, five or six years is 
where where the control of the experience um, is and, and is maintained. In the past, marketers, sales organizations have felt that they are controlling that experience and saying, I'm going to call you when we're available and we're going to call you and keep calling you when we're free. And hopefully we catch you when you're free and it kind of intercepts. What's changed is consumers expect to press the button themselves and have the control, have the car come to them. They don't want to go to the bus stop to find the next car coming. You know, they want to press the button and the car comes to them that moment, right? And it's the same thing with the experience. They want to be able to control that conversation and that experience on their time and their terms. And so that's the biggest fundamental shift. And texting gives that opportunity for both parties to continue that communication in in the best way as the consumer prefers. You know, it's it's funny you really mentioned that because what I'm hearing now and I'm after hearing you talk about the efficacy of texting we do a lot of outbound deal sourcing on um on our side right when we're looking for you know companies to invest in i'm gonna just start texting people (laughs) i had their phone number right like i mean i have the tools to get their phone number i'm just gonna start texting them you should um i I I couldn't think of anything more intrusive than that but you know fuck it you know, it's more it's more intrusive to get a call from a number you don't know and then answer True. it, not even knowing what, not even knowing right. who the hell is on the other side of that phone, and not knowing what they're going to ask you, what it's about, how long that's going to take, like what what what's expected. To me, that's more intrusive. It's someone knocking on the door, but you can't even look through the peephole to see who it is. Yeah, you cover the peephole. Yeah, like right, you know, and so. I actually think, you know, and calling just keeps ringing and ringing. That's more intrusive than one little ding mm-hmm. one time with context and relevance. And someone can easily be like, not interested. No, thanks. Yeah. Um, that's it. And it's over. And instead of you then having to call eight to 10 more times to try to intercept them and interrupt their day at the right time. It's just illogical. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, tell me about your capital stack. Tell me about your investors. Um, well, we we've raised three different rounds. Uh, we have you know really amazing uh, investors, uh, uh, you know, from the Bay, from Israel, um, who have been supporting us for many many years. I'm fortunate, and and we're very fortunate that that we have a really supportive board who really takes the long view approach, and um, and has allowed us to continue to build a really amazing company from our starting days with a handful of employees to a hundred plus employees now. And um, and continues to invest in us. We've also been um, fortunate to, you know, run efficiently and not kind of burn money at all costs for you know not that kind of growth at all costs, but but really try to continue to build product market fit efficiencies, um, which is why you know I'm glad that we're in a very fortunate place today, uh, even given the markets not needing to raise. We've always said you know four four years ago when we raised a big round. And, you know, we were on the verge of running out of all money. And uh, I mean, there was there were conversations we were having about, you know, shutting down just because if we didn't raise, we would have had to shut down or or not being able to pay people two weeks later on payroll. That was one of the most stressful periods in my entire life. Mm -hmm. And I have three kids. So that's saying a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And I vowed. My brother and I vowed to never put ourselves in that position ever again, to never expect that we'll raise money or be able to. 
and to always operate from a place of efficiencies and continuing to extend that runway. And if things slowed, then we would adjust spend accordingly to always maintain a healthy runway. Um, and, and that's where we're at today. And I feel really good and confident about that. It's allowed us to pivot, make changes and, uh, and make the right long-term decisions for the company. Mm-hmm. And so how do you think about, you know, because your solution, and I, I believe strongly, if you need people within a solution, then you need people within a solution to solve the problem first before just maximizing margin. So how do you think about like running the service component of your business of the people that are actually picking up the call, right? Um, when there's, I guess, the decision tree of the of the AI runs out of options. And like, how do you think about um, the business and and like where it's positioned using that that team and 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 how that's going to be valued going forward. You know, we 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 believe that human humans alone, like most companies do it today, is inefficient, expensive, hard to scale, or hard to manage, mm-hmm. um, hard to hire, um, hard to keep happy. Um, but tech alone, technology alone, is is also very limited and very inauthentic um, and expensive on its own. And so. Bridging the best of both worlds, I think, is what has created our really unique superpowers to be able to do what we do at scale. And our humans jump in for seconds at a time to help push a conversation forward um, because our AI and our platform guides them to what to do next. And they're kind of jumping in and trying to decipher very quickly what this person said, what it meant, and then click a button. Essentially, they could freestyle type, but mostly saying this meant that. And so every time our humans do jump in, they're actually training the system for the future. And this is why our system keeps learning on its own, because every time a human does jump in, it's retraining the system. This meant that. This meant oh, that. Cool. Yes, yeah, so you're, you're um, kind of like, you're, you're kind of tagging it automatically. Oh, we found another way they said not interested, right? right? Our AI didn't understand it. Great. Now it's kind of logged and it's building the, the strength, the, you know, the membrane c- continues to, to strengthen. Uh, I don't know the membrane, the brain. Uh, continues to strengthen with every human interaction. Um, also, um, you know, we we hired a, um, a phenomenal head of our contact center um, strategy operations who ran massive call centers for Nike, for Disney, uh, for a- ADP, um, and just other big enterprise organizations. Who's been able to bring his experience from managing thousands and tens of thousands of reps to what we're doing today by bridging AI for 80, 85% of the conversations and finding ways to loop in humans where necessary, where appropriate um, to create that seamless experience. And, and our mission isn't to be a fully automated company, although that may be our future, but that's not our mission. Our mission is to create the most authentic conversations at scale. And today, this is how we're accomplishing that is by you know bridging the best of both worlds. Yeah, and I love the idea that the humans are actually training the models as they're as they're working. So you're kind of getting some R and D trainers, you know. Yeah, for all yeah. you VCs out there, they're AI trainers. I like uh, it. You could, you could think of them as as te- technologists. Yeah, they're, they're, they they sit, they they definitely sit in the R and D column. Um, awesome. Well, David, thank you so much for coming on. Couple quick hand questions. What's your favorite book? Unlimited Power, Tony Robbins. Love T- love TR. Me too. He's the best. Me too. Have and you done the firewalk? I haven't done the firewalk. Awesome. I've, I've never actually been to an event, but I've I've re- I've done a lot of like the tapes. 
it's awesome. I, I recommend it. I didn't think yeah. I'd be into it with t- 10,000 people in the room and or however many people there were, but it was super powerful. Yeah. No, he's like, I was going to go to uh, business mastery and then COVID happened. And uh, like, yeah. And I was like, you know, I know. maybe I'll go with you. I haven't been to that one. Yeah, no, we should do it for sure. And then the um, best piece of business advice you've ever got. Be overly transparent and honest with your team and your board. I like it. I like it. The less you have to hide, the more people understand the decisions that you make when you make them, when they're good, when they're tough, and and people feel aligned and, and respect your moves. And the more trust is is developed, right? I mean, that like I I'm of the mindset of just tell me the bad news first. Yep. I mean, yep. Period. Like if you it's want like you want your chairman. Yeah. <laughs> if you um, want if you want my if you want my trust, like give me all the bad stuff, and then you know, and then I'm usually the one that's gonna like you know tell tell you that it's not that bad. We we spend at a board meeting. We'll spend as a percentage, you know, ten percent of the time on the good news highlights, and the majority on the challenges and what we're trying to improve. Um, it's not about you know just getting high fives and pats on the back. It's about really leading and figuring out how to keep improving everything you can and never settling. Exactly. Exactly. David, thank you so much for coming on. Everybody, this is the Capital Stack. We drop an episode every Tuesday. If you like it, please tell your friends, like, subscribe, share, cancel me, do whatever you'd like. Anyway, I uh, hope everyone has a great week and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. David Paul is the founder and general partner at DWP Capital. All opinions expressed by David and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of DWP Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. David and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast.